I want to ask you this morning, we've been, we've been talking about uh, spiritual warfare, and so as I came to this particular subject, as a peace is the subject today, I want to ask you a question is, have you ever, probably not, right, probably not, you've never made a decision that you, re- you realize you may have had some opposition in that decision, maybe, maybe it was on the job, or maybe it was at home, if you're a parent, you have probably made some decisions that faced opposition, right? Uh, and so, so in doing so, did you ever second guess? Did you ever doubt and say, you know what, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have done that? Um, and, and, then, and then when you get into that mode, right, then all of the questions start coming in and all the doubts, and then all of a sudden you got fears and you're processing thoughts you would never process before. But in this particular moment, because there was opposition to your decision, you start second-guessing everything altogether. And so um, I just want you to know, especially if you're a believer in Christ, more than likely you've made some decision that came with opposition. That's for sure. Uh, your lifestyle is as such. But I want you to know that you're not alone because as I read through Scripture uh, this last week, I began to realize that's just who we are. That when you search through Scripture, it is a constant thing that you see. In fact, as I read, let me just name some stories all to you. Abraham left his country and his family. Did you know that that was not culturally acceptable? <laughs> That is not what he was supposed to do. I guarantee you Abraham's mama was like, boy, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because you're going to be on your own. When I say on your own, boy, I mean on your own, on your own. And so I'm sure Abraham or Abram at the time had some decisions. Moses, I know he had some questions because he struggled for 40 years with leading the people who grumbled and complained the whole time. You know he had to be thinking, what in the world have I, (laughs) why did I sign up for this? I wish I could have been blind, never saw any kind of burning bush whatsoever at all. Just skipped on right past it. Maybe Gideon. Gideon, right, he was just the least of his tribe. And, and when he began to uh, stand in the way of a judge for Israel and, and lead, did you know that his family and his tribe were against him? They didn't believe that they were for him. So he faced some opposition there as well. David, when he walked out there to fight Goliath, his brother said, boy, you crazy. Get back to serving cheese. I don't know what's wrong with you. You are way out of line. This is not what God has called you to do. Peter and John, when they began to preach the gospel, they were faced by the Sanhedrin multiple times that they were out of line. And Paul, in opposition to everything he knew, went ahead and began to preach the gospel to Gentiles. There's always going to be, and, and, and honestly, I mean, these are just a small list. There's always going to be opposition to your decision. So where do we find the confidence to move forward? And I'll give you an answer this morning. If you want what they had, then what you need is peace. You need peace. For every opposition that you face, to know whether it's right, to whether know that you're whether you're wrong, you you need peace. And can I tell you that peace? If I can sum it up in the context of conflict and decision, I would say that peace is having confidence before God and courage before man. Can I say that again? That peace is having confidence before God. That when you go in, He ain't gonna bust you. 
Because you know you've been living like a devil the whole last week, six days. When you go in to ask God to forgive you or you go to ask God for some prayer needs, he's not going to say, well, we got this issue between you and I. We've got some conflict between you and I. But when Jesus reconciled that issue, now you know you can stand before him not being an adversary of God. And so, therefore, peace is the confidence to stand before God knowing he is no longer your enemy, basically. We need that type of peace. Have y'all ever prayed knowing that there was some enmity between you and the Lord? Knowing he said, before you ask that, let's talk about this. Y'all been there before? Oh, saints of God. Thank God. I'm so glad I'm in the, I'm in the heavenly host this morning. <laughs> Woo! Y'all, this, this side, y'all's halos are bright. I need to turn that down over there. I can't see too much. But this side, y'all like me. I, I, I'm familiar with y'all. Y'all, I'll move on. Peace is also the courage to stand before a man. It's not an easy thing to do, but you can do so because you've already stood before God. And when you stand before God and God gives you his peace, then who else has a say-so? Who else has a right? I don't care if it's your wife. I don't care if it's your family. I don't care if it's your in-laws. I don't care if it's your boss. I don't care if it's your president. It just makes no difference, right? Because when God says, Yes, everybody answers, it's not yes, is a no means nothing. Because we have a confidence before God, therefore we can have courage before man. Pray with me. Lord, you see every day the decisions that we have and the difficulties that we arrive at. Father, some of those things, God, come naturally because life is, this, this world is not our home. We understand that. But also, Lord, we understand that, that there's an enemy, and he tries us in different ways to rob us of our peace. And so I, I pray, God, today that you would help us to understand how important and absolutely vital peace is. Not just for moments of difficulty and decision, but also, Lord, for embracing new ideas and confidence to do something new. We need peace, God, in all measures, and I pray that you would stir up that spirit in us, God, to have just that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 15. I remind you it starts off like this. Finally, right? That word in the Greek simply meant this. Now, after I've said everything else, pay attention. This is what really matters. That's what, that's what Paul was saying to us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Not just reading your word today, and that's it. But the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, which is today and tomorrow. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is anybody righteous today? Amen. Praise God. I, I will repeat a sermon. You know what I mean? I ain't got no problem with that. I just got back 24 hours of my life. If y'all didn't get last week or two weeks ago, I'll do that again in a heartbeat. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Three times in this passage, Paul tells us to stand. 
to stand. It's important for you to stand. He's not saying run and go forth and share the message of the gospel. He's not saying that. He's saying stand in a moment of adversity, in a moment of conflict and difficulty. He's telling you to stand. So just in that, that particular thing alone, you need to understand that when you go through some hard times, your assignment is to stand. It's not what he's called you to. And he's asked you to stand and given you all the tools to do so, but specifically, he's given you shoes to stand. Have you ever found it difficult to stand when your feet hurt? I used to work a job that was about 18 hours, and all I did was be a professional smiler and a pointer. That's the worst job ever. Worst job. 18 hours, you know, just this, that way, that way. Our room to be, you know, and my feet at the end of the day, guys, hurt so bad. Can I tell you, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to eat anything. Nothing sounded good because my feet hurt. In fact, if they asked me, I had some students at the time, they'd say, Pastor Scott, can we go so-and-so? I didn't care because I just wanted to get off my feet. Can I tell you that you will lower every guard in your life just to get off some hurting feet? So it's important for Paul to address the fact that we need these these shoes. And so the shoes of the Roman soldier were made actually in two parts. There was uh, greaves. I I got a picture up there. It's way out of, I think it's at the, there you go, at a girl. So these are greaves, these shiny things right here. And they extended up over the knee all the way down to the top of the foot. And those things really just encompassed the front of the shin because how many of you guys got some sensitive shins? You can kick me almost anywhere else, but you kick me in my shin, I will weep. You know, that's just not, I'm not tough there, you know. I'm not tough there. And so it was to protect your shins uh, because your shins were exposed when you were holding your shield. And so the enemy would come along and he would kick your shins to get you to drop your shield. We'll talk more about that later on because he's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to drop your faith. So what he does is he kicks your peace. Mm. Yeah, that's later, that's later though. But so then, so then that's, that's one way. The other thing is simply this, is that sometimes the soldier wasn't always called to walk the Roman road. Sometimes he had to go off path and, and, and go through thickets and thorns and sharp edges and all other types of things. And he had this confidence knowing that wherever he walked, he was good to go because he had greaves on. Now, I think that's funny because they call it greaves. I don't think he was grieving for his, his shins. Maybe that's what it's for. I'm not sure. Uh, and then the second thing is his shoes, his caliga. And so that is simply uh, some shoes that were wrapped tightly. Did you see on the right-hand side? Uh, they had to be super tight because he went through all different types of terrain. How many of y'all own a, a loose pair of shoes? How many of y'all own some Crocs? Raise your hand. Where are my Croc lovers at this morning? You know you love some Crocs, right? One time we were, I was, I was, roofing the house with my father-in-law in some Crocs. And Phil looked over to me and like shook it. He didn't say nothing to me, but I knew what he was saying. That boy ain't got no clue what's going on up here. Because if you want to do something that's agile, you don't want to wear Crocs, right? Because Crocs are kind of loose fitting. And the Roman soldier's shoes are the same way. You had, to, you had to have a tight shoe. You had to have something that wrapped around your foot closely and tightly. And can I tell you that peace is the same way? You need peace to be sure-footed and wrapped tightly around your souls. If you got that double, yeah. 
around your soul. Because you guys know that when you work in loose shoes, you mess around and break an ankle really quick. They may feel comfortable, but they don't function well. And so Paul is saying here we have these shoes that must be wrapped tightly. These shoes also came sometimes with cleats. These are hobnails right here, but they also had one to three inch spikes uh, that they put on the bottom of these shoes sometimes. And that was given the turn. Now, that does not look fun to me to, to walk in. I don't know what they would do with that. Climb the side of a mountain, I don't know. But, but those spikes were given to sustain a hard rush from the enemy or to climb up very steep embarkments. They have different applications. But what it did was it provided a, 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 a traction. They also used those to kick the enemy's shins. That would hurt. Um, but most importantly, um, it... These, these shoes, whether they were spikes like this or the other one with hobnails, they were very solid and very thick. And one of the traps that um, armies like to use to catch them, nowadays we use minefields, or maybe we just shoot you down from the sky. But back then, when you walked into a certain trap where the enemy wanted you to go, or maybe he wanted you to not go this direction and not go this direction, but funnel you into a, a kill box, what he would do is he would put sharp pieces of bamboo or stick so that way as you walk through this place your feet it would hurt your feet but roman soldiers didn't have no problem they would walk right through that stuff because they had uh very thick soles man i mean the metaphors are just all day long up here but but because he had very thick soles they could go off road and they weren't forced down the path that the enemy desired i hope you're taking notes this morning so let me talk about the significance of shoes in battle. It was very significant for the warrior because however formidable the soldier is, his feet, if his feet are not prepared, then the strength of his armor matters not, the might of his ability matters not, the determination of his will matters not, the sharpness of his mind matters not. All that means nothing if his feet cannot hold him up. And history says the same thing. As I looked down through some history, I found that Napoleon's invasion of Russia in 1812, he took 680,000 Frenchmen into Russia. He only came back with 22,000. And the most significant factor to the loss of his men was that they did not have shoes to sustain the weather where they were going. And so they came back minus 600 and, and uh, Four, less than 680,000, I can't do math right now because my brain's not in the math mode. I'm up here in preach mode. But uh, 22,000 men were the only ones that came back. And so what we see is, is that feet matter, boots matter. The other thing is this, American Revolutionary War, if I can say that right, American Revolutionary War, the Continental Army, when they had bad feet or bad shoes, what we found is this, they left blood trails everywhere. Do you know how hard it is to, to uh, outmaneuver the enemy when you're leaving blood trails everywhere? And so they lost a significant amount of battles because they did not have the right shoes on. During the Civil War, the Confederate Army, most of its, um, its war loss was due to morale because they could not afford or provide the fact that they had good shoes. When you don't have good shoes, you have bad morale. Have you ever wore bad shoes all day long? Did your family like you after that? No, not at all. Because when you got bad feet, everything hurts. Everything. All of a sudden, you got a headache you didn't know. All of a sudden, you got bowel problems. Everything has a problem 
when your feet hurt. History is full of battles where soldiers lost feet, they lost morale, and therefore they lost the fight. All because they were unable to stand when it mattered the most. You and I are in a, a battle. And our ability to stand regardless of the conflict or stand regardless of the circumstance will determine our ability to establish the kingdom of God. Not just overcome and have life abundantly, but to, to establish the very kingdom of God in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our community. If we can't stand, what good is the church? The church is known to stand. In fact, history tells us that they have always stood. And so today, I want to give you an acronym, which I will not do entirely today. Uh, I want to give you an acronym which, which um, explains how peace enables the believer to stand. And that word simply is stand. So it is solidarity, tenacity, assurance, negation, and dominion. Solidarity is for the bond that, 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 that uh, peace fosters an unshakable unity in the church. And that is done through the bond of peace. Tenacity is simply the peace of God that rules and fortifies us in unwavering resolve and endurance. Assurance is what the soldier needs to be steadfast, rooted in sturdy footwear, prepares him for any challenge. Um, negation is through Jesus. The wall of hostility has been broken down, thank God. And our conflict has been negated by the flesh of Jesus and his sacrifice. And the last one in dominion is as representatives of God's kingdom, we are called to establish an atmosphere of peace wherever we go. And so today I want to just deal with the S and the T, solidarity and tenacity. And we'll talk about and uh, the A and D the rest of that next week. So solidarity. One thing I love about the church is simply this, is that when you're new to Christ, you're new to the faith, you don't know how to properly stand. But now you belong to a family, and now you belong to a body who does know how to stand. And so long as you belong to the bride and the church, that's why it's so important for you to understand your function and your role and your belonging in church. When you belong to the church, now you're able to stand in places you could not stand before because now you are not standing alone. It's important for you to understand that. And so for us to accomplish that, we need to see what it takes to be a church, to be a united uh, um, uh, entity in Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, you've been called to the body of Christ, walk in a manner worthy of that. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That last one is, is a lot going on, but he says eager to maintain. He didn't just say to maintain, but he said eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we are to be a church that is united, a church that is capable in standing in solidarity, then we must keep the unity of the Spirit. You were given unity in the Spirit when you came into um, uh, the family of God. That is your birthright. Peace is a birthright God has given to you. But you and I, we must keep the unity. That means you got to work. You got to maintain the spirit of the bond of peace. 
So that is to say that we are all in Christ and we should be at peace with each other. And unfortunately, you can look across the denominations and see that churches are not in peace with each other. But even worse than that is even within our own fellowship, the Assemblies of God, we have people who are not in peace with each other. And even worse than that, we have people who are inside the church who are not in peace with each other. And you have people inside those churches who have families who are not in peace with each other. Yet, Christ says that we should be at peace with each other. So what are we doing wrong? Because the evidence is clear that we are wrong. That we do not have peace. And the whole time, we're trying to tell the world, hey, come jump over here. This is what you need to belong to. You'll be loved. You'll be accepted. You'll be affirmed. You'll know your identity. You'll know love and joy. Well, I don't know about peace, but you know you'll get those other things. Because we as a church don't know what peace is. If we practice peace, we practice unity. But do we practice unity? In fact, if you had the spirit of unity, you should be practicing unity. You know, as you travel abroad, here's some things I I love about traveling abroad. When you get outside of America and you find another American citizen, it's like an instant connection, right? It's like, I've known you my whole life. You know, I don't know what it is, but especially if you get to a, a real different culture. When you get to a real different culture and you realize, oh, you're an American, I'm American, and it's like we're best friends until we're off this trip. I don't know why that is. You can be against everything I'm against when we're back home, but outside and abroad, what matters is what matters, right? You can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, and somehow you'll find peace. You can be for Golden State, or you can be for the Lakers, or you can be for the referees. It's all the same thing to me. But you know, but you'll find peace somehow. And so why is that so? Because you share common language, you share common knowledge, you share common history, you share commonalities. Because you understand that regardless of what you go through outside of America, your desire, regardless of their disposition as what it is inside of America, is simply for the peace of America. You want peace inside America just like they do, and so you find this one bond of peace outside of the country. And so this is what Paul is saying. He says, let me just remind you, the reason why you should have the bond of peace it's because Ephesians 2.19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Notice he called you a saint and members of the household of God. And so our job is to function as fellow citizens in the bond of peace so that way we can operate in the spirit of unity. So that way Christ can be glorified. So that way the sinners can see our lifestyles and they be drawn to God by seeing our good works. Our good works is exemplified in peace. But he says not just fellow citizens. That's not just enough. Let's just make this smaller. John 15, 15 says this. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. I called you friends. Can you call everybody in here a friend? Can you call everybody in your home a friend? Can you call everybody in your marriage a friend? (laughs) I hope so. But some can't. And that's a problem. He says, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
And what we don't understand is when we cannot operate in the spirit of peace and they are to be our friends, number one, they are our friends because they are Christ's friends. If you are not Christ's friend, then you are not their friend since your friendship is based off of Christ. But I'll also remind you that your friendship to one another also determines your friendship to Christ. For Christ said, do unto others as you have done unto me. How much more is that important amongst Christ's friends? And so you and I are not to be hostile towards each other. We are to not disturb the peace towards each other. We are to love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. Amen? We do those things. Why? Because we are his friends. And if we reject his friends, we have rejected him. It's important to understand the, the paradigm of how this works. But he says you're not just friends, you're also family. He draws that circle a little bit tighter. I love how Paul works. Paul is He's a smart guy. He's smarter than Pastor Caleb, you know. He's a smart guy. I said that because, you know, you said you were smart a while ago, so I just, just in case somebody just woke up, you know what I mean? Like, they just could be waking up. Like, he, he ran him down the grave, you know, and that's not good. We are also family. Hebrews 2.11 says this, so now Jesus and the, one, uh, and the ones he makes holy. Notice that. So now Jesus and the one he makes holy. Who is that? That's Yun's. Is that how you say it, right? Is Yuns. The ones he makes holy is Yuns. Had the same father. You got the same daddy. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. And so your bond goes even deeper because now we, we're family. You're my brother and my sister. I don't get to choose. Now, y'all have heard my stories about my sister, right? I've not always been kind to her. And she's not always been kind to me. She was kinder. But in the end, we were still family. We still worked some differences. I did try to kill her a few times, but I do love her. And we worked through our indifferences because she came from the same place I came from. And so what we see is simply this. We see that we are also reflecting our father, that when I act in a way that honors my brother or my sister, what I'm really doing is honoring your father and honoring my father. And so peace honors the father. You, you hear what I'm saying this morning? Peace honors the father. And so whatever you got to do to fix the peace in your home, or peace in your life, peace in your job, sometimes it's not fixable, but it can be addressable. Whatever you got to do to resolve the conflict then do so. Scripture is full of ways to resolve conflict. But find the peace because when we reject peace or we substitute peace with false peace, then what we've done is not honor the Father. And the last thing he says is simply this. We are also members of the same body, right? He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, for in one spirit we all were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. We are all one body. I don't know about you, but when my feet hurt, everything hurt. I'm not judging my feet. You're lazy. You've been doing nothing but just standing there all day long. The rest of my body does not come down in condemnation on my feet and judge it. You know why? Because to, to, to judge my feet, to, to, to say to my feet, feet, 
Why are you feeling this way? Why are you not lifting up your side of the deal, of the bargain? No, in fact, what happens when your feet hurts? Y'all know how y'all get to walking like y'all 92. 150. Just in case somebody's 92 in here. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you know, you walk around. You could be 24 and you're still like, oh, mama, my feet hurt so bad. You know, you grabbing on the things. You holding on the walls. You know why you do that? It's because the rest of your body knows you can't just get rid of your feet because there is an inseparable bond. See, the fact is, is that if you were to disconnect your feet because your feet were uncomfortable, you would have to separate yourself from the thing that binds you to your feet, and that is the body. And if you reject the body, you rejected the head. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? The Lord has called us to peace, and he says this peace matters because you will never be the bride that honors the groom if you are not a body of peace. If you want hostility, go seek the world. They got plenty of conflict for you. The next thing is simply tenacity. Tenacity is the believer's ability to hold fast and not be moved. We see here in Ephesians 2.14 is is where this, this ability to not be moved is. When I look at Christ, Christ was able to sustain himself like nobody else in the face of all opposition, in the face of all conflict, all pressure, all suffering, Christ remained unmoved. And since he has remained unmoved, I should draw from who he is. And scripture says, for he himself is our peace. So if Jesus is our peace, then let's look at our peace in action. Hebrews 12, 3 says this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me rewrite this so you can see your peace at work. Look at how your peace, who endured from sinners such hostility, so that you may know, or that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus is our peace, and he showed us what our peace does. Because he himself, who is our peace, endured the hostility that was made against himself, but he did so so that we might draw encouragement, that we might have tenacity. The peace of God that he has given you is telling you that since I am your peace, you have all the ability in the world to stand firm. To stand firm. When you make a decision and... and, and, and People are against you, or sometimes condemnation of your own self is there because the enemy tries to come in to to make you rewrite your decision and say, well, you're being selfish, you're not thinking for others, this is not the right decision. You need to know, wait, 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 wait. I need to know where my peace is. I need to have some tenacity in the moment and hold to my conviction because you will be tried. You will, have you ever been tried? Because you will be tried. Every good decision is a tried decision. You didn't make a good decision if you've not been tried on it. All your bad decisions were easy. But your good decisions have been contested. But don't worry, because here's what we see about Jesus as well. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all what? You need to know that. You need to know that, that the peace of God surpasses understanding. 
my understanding, your understanding, we're understanding, when we can't reconcile, when we can't make a due process of what we're understanding and what we're seeing, the Lord says, I don't need any of y'all. I already know what needs to be, and I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to give you the right answer, and then I'll give you the peace to remind you that this is the right thing. Even in the face of so many difficulties and trials that you may endeavor, you need to know that the one thing that matters the most in your decision is peace. When I, when I counsel people who are, who are about to be married, I ask them, where's your peace at? Because, because this may surpass your understanding. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, because sometimes you get married and you don't even know, like, I, don't, I, I ain't got a job yet. And not, all I know is I love her, I love him, and all these other things that are going on. And so you may be in a situation where you don't know the right thing to do, but if you got peace, if you got peace, Conversely, let me say this, you may feel like everything is going right for you and everything is lining up for you and everything is working out just the way you planned it, but somehow you don't got peace. Can I tell you that peace without understanding is the right thing to do, but with understanding and no peace is the wrong thing to do. It doesn't make a difference what makes sense to you if your logic lines up, if the scales line up, if the, if the sequence lines up. If you have no peace, you're wrong. Because how can two walk together unless they agree? And if you want to agree with God's will for your life, then you need peace. By the way, his peace and his will are synonymous. All of who God is does all of what God does. And so he's not going to separate his peace from his will. Are you following me this morning? So if God wants you to do something, he's going to give you his what? And if you ain't got his peace, then you ain't in his what? Let me say this again so you're on board because I feel like five people have passed the grade today. If, if, if you have peace, then you are in the what of God? And if you are in the will of God, then you have what? Are you following me this morning? So, so if you're thinking about marrying that pretty little, that little pretty, pretty little young lady, where's your peace at? Before you make that career move, where's your peace at? Before you buy that car, where's your peace at? Sorry, Cole. Where's your peace at? <laughs> you understand? The most important decisions in your life are contested, but they're contested over peace, not knowledge. It's not wisdom. That's because God doesn't always give you those things. He doesn't always give you understanding, but he will give you his peace. I got to move on because it's 1119. The last thing I bring to you today is simply this. Is that if you don't allow peace to govern your life, then you've allowed everything else to do so. Peace desires to be the governor of your life. And if you don't allow peace to rule over your heart, then you said, I'm okay with everything else doing so. Because peace don't share. Peace wants to do what one thing has been given to do, and that is to establish a rule in our heart. Have you ever had those times when you're thinking thoughts and, and you know, you, 
you don't got no peace. And so what happens is, is you're thinking about the worst thing. You're thinking about the best thing. Your, your emotions are here. Your emotions are there. Some folks don't like to ride roller coasters because it makes them sick. They can't, they can't figure out where they're going to go and say, so want to get off and puke. And sometimes that's how life feels like to us. We're or up, we're down, we're over here. We don't know the next thing that's coming. It's just a roller coaster emotionally, physically, and spiritually. But the Lord says, that's not how I designed you to operate. I've given you a way to move past that. He says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. So when he says this word rule, he's literally saying to establish authority. Now what I want you to understand is that when Paul was writing to this, uh, the church of Colossus, they were having some problems because they had some false teachers there saying, well, you're not supposed to be drinking that. You're not supposed to be eating that. You're not supposed to be celebrating that way. And so all these believers were like, we don't know what to do because they're using shame. They're out there on little birdie trying to make us feel bad. We don't know what to do, Lord. And so, so, so Paul writes to them and lets them know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't just subject yourself to anybody. There's only one person that calls the shots in your life, and that's peace. Peace rules over. Matter of fact, the word that he uses right here is brabeo, and that simply means to umpire or referee. Have you ever had a referee spoil the game? Is Clint Powers in here? <laughs> but you know what I love about a referee? He was a good referee. You know, he hadn't been paid off to make sure the Lakers win. You know, a good referee is someone who will align themselves with with absolute objective truth, right? This is what is. I'm not be, I'll not be partial. I'll not play favorites. But this is the rule. This is the law. And I align myself. Even if my daughter is coaching the other team, I'm still going to call the foul. And so that's what a referee does. But the, ref, the referee has the ability and the, the, uh, the authority to call the shots. What I'm telling you this morning is that when you have peace in your life, peace now has the authority to judge every emotion, every action, and inaction to say, nope, that doesn't line up with the will of God. That doesn't line with the purpose of God. And so you're out of bounds. Boop, you're out. Technical, get them out of here. And if we don't have peace, operating in our life, then you are subject to every vile parent that sits on the sideline screaming as to why their kid is not playing or as to why their kid was never found in the first first place. You understand? Without peace, you live your life in subjectivity. To whatever emotion comes along that day, to whatever devil comes along that day and speaks a life or a lie or, or, or a partial truth, To whatever person who's having a bad day, it makes no difference. It simply is telling us this, that when we operate in peace, we allow the peace of God to call the shots. We allow the peace of God to umpire our life and our actions, and we allow the peace of God to referee our emotions and our decisions. As Pastor Kelly, you'll just come up, uh, just bring a small crew. Don't bring the whole band up here. The reason why I need you to know this is so important is because I want you to understand the devil will find every unrenewed aspect of your mind. He's not going to wear himself out against the things that are strong. The enemy doesn't need to be strong. He just needs to be smarter than you. 
And he watches you when no one else is watching you. He knows your insecurity. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you hide your sins. And so that part of your mind, he will begin to attack. Because he understands that in this area, it's not submitted. And so therefore, since it's not submitted, there's no peace that's ruling over it. And he will begin to work his way into your mind. And he cannot control you per se because he's not in you such as he was Judas. But he will pull your strings and make you move like the puppet we sometimes tend to be. So it's important for us to understand how peace is to rule our life. It's important for us to understand how to submit every aspect of our life to God because those areas that are now vulnerable are now amenable to what he desires, whatever control he desires. And you know the enemy. Or sometimes it's not the enemy. Sometimes ever-changing aspect of life finds the unrenewed aspects of our life of our mind, and that alone keeps us on the roller coaster. But we have a peace that rules all those things. And here's the key if you need peace, it's really simple. Isaiah 26:3 says this: you keep him in perfect peace whose mind you need staying power. You need staying power. The problem is not the enemy. The problem is that you hadn't stayed there. You need to stay your mind on him. And when you stay your mind on him, in him who is our peace, you will know perfect peace. Will you stand with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. It's three things I just want to speak to this morning. Listen, I know it's 11.30, but you got, you got things to deal with. Three things I want you to, I want you to, to, to ask the Holy Spirit right now in your life. The first one is, is maybe you need clarity because there's a decision that you have to make. Or maybe there's a hardship you've been facing. It could be sicknesses or finance or marriage or whatever it might be, provision. And you need clarity. You, you're, you're needing to make a decision, but you're unsure. And you need peace to make a hard decision. Remember, every good decision is a contested decision. And you need peace. Maybe clarity is not the issue for you. Maybe what you need is confidence. Maybe before when you go before the Lord, you, you know there's that, there's that past. There's that shame. There's that reoccurring sin. There's that, there's that temptation. There's that thing that besets us so easily. And our prayers are nullified because we carry condemnation in our own selves. And you need peace. You need confidence to go before God. Or maybe you don't need those two at all. What you need is courage. You need courage because you know this decision that you're about to make is going to create some conflict. But you know it's the right thing, but you need an abiding peace that will give you the courage that in the face of conflict and opposition, the Lord will establish.
establish your way and establish your word. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, if, if you need to go to the Lord because you need clarity, you need confidence, or you need courage, can I pray with you this morning? Right now, will you move? Will you move? Will you move? Be bold, guys. It's just the altar. You, you know, I, the whole time I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you. But if you want peace, it's here today. And so, and so we're all good. If you don't need to come, then it means you don't need peace. You're good to go. You don't need confidence. You don't need courage. You don't need, you don't need clarity. What do you need? Because I know he longs to give it to you. He is our peace. Father in heaven, Lord, you, 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 you see, you know, you know the heaviness that we carry. It's a heaviness, Lord. It's an anxiety, it's a stress, it's a worry. Like we don't, we don't know how to carry. Because we're not meant to carry our burdens. We're not meant to walk in our yoke. But Lord, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And that's that's scripture for today. That's a promise for today. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, as, as your child, Lord, is needing confidence or clarity. Pray, God, you draw their heart. Let them know, God, that you are our perfect peace. And that in the middle of a wild windstorm, you can walk right into our life and tell us, peace be still. And we can experience the peace that comes from your word by trusting you. We ask you, Lord, step into our boat today. Step into our boat today, Lord. Step on the bow of our boat, God. Speak to our storm of emotions, of pressures, problems. Father, speak peace and let us be still as our mind is stayed on. church. We just pray for these people who, who've come and, and ask God to give it to them. This is the part I don't ever get to teach you on, but, but your, your role right now is imperative. You've come here to pray for one another and love for one another. And so if your heart moves, you come pray for somebody. If you want to stay at your seat, just stretch your arm out and just begin to pray for these people who, who are in need of peace, in desperate need of peace.